Hey peeps! Well, like I said, I was gonna have a special guest regarding buying homes and so forth. I have here Kevin Carrera. He teaches first-time buying at the Merrimack Valley Housing Partnership. So I'm going to introduce him and he can um, give a little bit of details on what he is and what he does for a living and background and all that. So if you have any questions, I'll I'll give the information at the end of the um episode so you can reach out to him if you have any questions and so forth but he's an excellent person to go to we bought a home from him and I tell you we asked him so many questions and he was always there to answer the questions he never hesitated to reach out to us and let us know and also if he is busy he would text back and he wouldn't just let it leave it hanging but he always texts back or call back so here he is Kevin Carrera. Hey guys, this is Kevin Carrera, Team Carrera. We're powered by Keller Williams Realty. We have a little office and a Westford office. Um, so just tell you a little bit about myself. I run a team. So it's me, my wife, Anna, Jared's our buyer's agent. And then we have two administrative assistants to help us out with all the crazy paperwork we have to deal with. So we stay pretty busy. You know, on average, we sell about 60 to 80 homes per year. So we're pretty high end. We cover Merrimack Valley, Southern New Hampshire, and we're licensed in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. So we can definitely help you out with any questions you have in those states. Um, but yeah, we love to give back. If you follow us on um, Facebook or Instagram, I just tell everybody go to connect with Team Career, which is C-O-R-R-E-I-A. And you can go through our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, our YouTube channel. All of the content that we put out is on those channels and those platforms, guys. So I do a lot of content, meaning I like to give back to the community. Is As Linda said earlier, I I do um, first-time buyer classes. I actually do first-time buyer classes for Merrimack Valley Housing Partnership, as well as CTI, which is Community Teamwork. So they're both low-based programs that teach first-time home buyer education courses for people looking to buy a home within the next anywhere from six months to maybe two or three years. You know, you want to get started as soon as possible because the more you know ahead of time, the better decisions you can make moving forward before you do decide to jump into this crazy home buying market we're in right now. Okay. Thanks for the down information. Um, also, wanted to know, like, if a person wanted to buy a house, how would they, how is the best way to bill a credit? Yes. So we, the good thing about me is I do have a, Prior to real estate, I've been doing this almost 10 years now, but prior to this, I was into banking for about 13 years. So I have a very vast financial background. So I'm able to help people with credit and income and different things they need to figure out if they want to be able to buy a house. So one big thing is, um, you know, you want to, you really want to have a credit score. If you want to get the first time buyer products, you really want to be over 660 for credit score. And worst case scenario, if you really want to buy a house and you can come up with three and a half percent, you can get a loan with 580. But it's just a little bit, you know, higher rate, things like that. So you pay for it when you have that lower credit score. You end up paying a little bit higher interest, some more closing costs that you won't be paying. And if you have that better score of 660 or plot better. Um, but the first step really is, you know, you want to check in with your realtor probably anywhere from six months to one year before buying because you want to make sure that you're in the right position when it does come time to make that jump because a lot of people don't realize how much um, down payment they need and things like that. So the minimum credit score is 580 as we said, but 
the next score up 660 and what that's going to help you do guys is it's going to get you to that first step of home buying once you get ready to say hey i really want to do this you're going to go to a we're going to connect you with a lender that we that we recommend we'll give you a list of a few different lenders and we'll start that pre-approval process guys this is very important this is when they tell you based on your income your credit score and you know your past credit history they're going to say how much do you are you approved for it to buy a home? So they might say, hey, if you're buying by yourself, you might be able to get 250000 But if you buy with your spouse, you can get 500000 So they look at your whole financial picture. And based on that information, they decide that you can qualify for this amount to buy a house. And then once we get that number, guys, that's when you start working with us and you get out there and hit the ground and start looking at houses. So that's the next fun step in the home buying process after you get that pre-approval, which would be your first step. Thank you for that information. Also, um, right now, as you all know, as we all can see, inflation and price market, especially with houses of new houses to even come onto the market, even before it even hits the market, sometimes it's even bought without being on the market. But when it does come onto the market, um, what's the next step? Like, what's the down deposit? Like, thinking forward, how much is the percentage? Are you willing to put down? What's the best advice? 5%, 10%, 17%, 20%? Does it rely on what they can afford or what they can bring to the table or what they should start saving? What would you suggest? Yes. So typically for first-time buyers, you want to have somewhere between 3 to 5% saved. That's about the average we see with first-time buyers. But the best case scenario always is if you can put down 20% because you avoid PMI and you get the best interest rate. So your best case is always going to be 20% down. Most people, you know, unfortunately cannot do that. So you really want to target that 3 to 5%. If you have 5% down or 5% of the price of the house you want to buy, you're in a very good spot. And you should be able to use most first-time buyer loans if your score is over that 660 we talked about earlier. So that's a big thing for us. Um you know, if you're not sure what PMI is, guys, PMI is called private mortgage insurance. And what that does, it actually protects your bank if you default on the loan. So if you don't pay for your loan, it protects the bank so they don't lose money in case your house value happens to go down or anything like that. And it shows the bank if you d default on your loan, meaning you don't make the payments. So you definitely want to... um you know, try not to pay that. If you are buying a house and you put down five or 10%, you may have PMI. It goes away when you get to 20% if you call the bank. And if you don't call the bank, because you forget, it goes away automatically at 22% equity. So meaning once you hit 22% down based on the price you paid for the house. So it's a big thing you really want to know about. If you have questions on that, we'd love to help you out because a lot of people don't understand that. But PMI is private mortgage insurance and that's protecting the bank if you decide not to pay that loan and you lose that house. Awesome. Because we didn't, we, myself and my husband, we didn't even understand the whole real, uh, real estate world when we started buying. And, you know, as you know, we questioned you so many things. So it was very helpful that you were able to answer every questions that we had. Now, right now with, um, with the market being so high and we're not seeing it going down anytime soon, what would you suggest a couple, a new, newly wedged couple to, to look into, like to start doing research on their end before they even hit the mortgage or a realtor or a broker, just to like have an insight. Should they go on apps to just look up something or should they start looking at, um, you know, Googling or what do you think about, um, what's it, True? 
Trulia. Trulia and stuff Zillow. like that. Yeah. Zillow. What do you what's your I what's your opinion about them apps or websites? Yeah, I think, you know, it's unfortunate you know, fortunately for us we have the internet at our hand, which we didn't have twenty years ago, and we have an advantage because we can literally just go online and look at homes for sale and, and ten thousand websites pop up. But the most, you know, popular websites, we have our own app. You can download the Keller William app and then put my name in Kevin Career as your agent and you can download that personalized app you can search anywhere in the united states with that app um and the what it does is it kind of gives you a feel you might want to buy a house and drake it and maybe you can't afford that house so it's going to give you an idea of you know what the prices of houses in that market are going for and then that's when you need to make that decision if you're willing to you know if you're not willing to pay those prices where can you find a house in your price range it might be 30 40 minutes from where you want to be but sometimes to get that you know rewarding gift of home ownership, you might have to travel or you might have to buy a house that needs work instead. And those are the things you want to find out before you start looking because you don't want to come into this process discouraged, in which I think a lot of people do, unfortunately, because they don't take this step of looking at homes before they start looking into buying a home. So they don't realize, you know, that a $400,000 house may have a $3,000 mortgage or a $450,000 house, you know, may have a high mortgage of twenty eight dollars or $3,000 depending on rates and how much you put down, things like that. So they might they might want that $400,000 house, but they when they realize what that payment is, they don't want that house any longer. So you kind of got to back yourself in, find out what the payment is, which you can do mortgage calculators on all those websites. The recommended sites, honestly, the best one's probably realtor.com. Then you go to Zillow, Trulia, things like that. Those are all pretty good real estate websites and apps. And then obviously Keller Williams Realty and Bias because that's our company, but that's another great website you can go to and check out for, you know, maybe a mortgage calculations. If you put down, it will tell you, you know, you can put down, I put down 3%. What's the payment? If I put down five, what's the payment? So we'll kind of break down those payments for you. You can kind of play with those numbers and see if you're in that right spot where it is, you know, if you have enough saved or if you need to save another five or 10,000 or whatever it may be. Perfect. Now, with the interest of um, right now, last year, as you know, last year, interest was very low and people were refinancing myself. I refinanced yep. and we got our uh, interest to be below three. And um, but I'm not too sure right now what the interest are. What are the going rates right now for the interest mortgages? Yes. So unfortunately, as we talked today, we're in April uh, 2022 here. We actually just had the highest spike in interest rates ever in the shortest amount of time. So rates, you know, right now are peaking above 5%. We were looking at, you know, 2.625 to 3% for, you know, almost during the whole time of COVID. COVID. And then um, after that, you know, the last few weeks, the, we have an inflation here and the economy's changing. We have a war going on and inflation's starting to hit. And when inflation hits, the government tends to increase their interest rates to kind of tame inflation. So with that happening, that means that when the rates go up with the government, their what they call prime rate goes up, then the rates on the mortgages tend to follow suit. So we're seeing a huge pr price increase on interest rates on mortgages right now. So, you know, just because you were pre-approved two months ago for $400,000, now you might only be, be able to qualify for three hundred and fifty or three hundred seventy-five, depending on how much those rates jump up. So you always got to stay in touch with your lender and kind of see what rates are doing. Bad news is we are expecting further increases of rates and prices over the next couple of years here. And the housing market, based on all the data I've researched, is not going to be dropping anytime in the next few years. And I don't think it's even going to drop after that, but we don't see any type of crash or anything like that coming. So 
you know, try not to listen to people that aren't in the industry because they don't always have the best information. But um, yeah, so it's just make sure, you know, you do your research before you start looking, find out what an average rate is, reach out to a realtor or lender if you know anybody, and they'll kind of give you a gauge on what that rate might be at that time. So what you're saying is start now. Yes. So that's what I was about to say. But yes, definitely. I always tell everybody, don't wait, because it's always going to get worse. Prices are going to go up. Interest rates are going to go up. How many times in life, guys, do you see the price of things go down? If the price of you know, milk goes up, it usually never comes back down. So you kind of go to go based on the basic necessities. Once prices start to go up, they kind of stay up there. Um, we haven't had a market crash since 2008. And everybody for the last 15 years has been saying it's going to crash. But in 2008, when the market crashed, guys, it was because there was a lot of predatory lending, which is... Lending that probably should have never happened, meaning people got houses that they should have never been able to afford to buy or couldn't afford to buy. So they've stopped a lot of that. You don't see that anymore. So this does, this current economy is nothing like 2008. So don't expect that crash. Um, honestly, in the last, I think it's three out of five recessions, the housing market actually usually goes up or stays the same. So it's not common that they kind of go together, that the housing market and recessions happen together. So don't um, bank on that because it's going to end up costing you a lot of money if you think the housing market's going to go down because the, the economy is going down a little bit. There's a lot of chatter going on with amongst family and friends that, oh, don't worry, we'll wait, we'll wait to buy, we'll wait, we'll wait to buy. But I see a lot of friends and family like out there splurging on new cars and which is fine, you know, if, if it's in your budget. But if you're looking to settle down and build a foundation within your family and you want security of having a home so that you and your family won't be homeless or, you know, put on the street with um with the rent prices now it's ridiculous not just buying a home talking about rent is ridiculous even having a one bedroom two bedroom they're going at what fifteen sixteen hundred dollars a month yeah sixteen hundred around bowl um they actually i just read an article that rent prices across the united states went up on average 19 percent in 2020 uh 2021 and they're expected to go up another 19 to 20 percent in 2022 so it's not going to make sense to sit there and keep renting because these are going to keep going up when your mortgage payment guys your mortgage payment the mortgage part is fixed if you have a fixed rate your mortgage payment can never go up your taxes and insurance can go up but your mortgage payment can never ever go up so that's a way to hedge and inflation they say stop you know against inflation if you get locked in at a two thousand dollar payment your payment's kind of always going to be around that range so but your rent can keep going up but your mortgage can't so remember that when you decide to you know if you decide to keep renting that that rent can go up every year once that lease ends they can raise it again so that's, just keep that in mind that's very true i do have a friend that rents a one bedroom and he's paying about 1250 one bedroom 1250 and uh, and right now he's working on his credit, trying to build it so that he can buy a house and or a condo just to start with. Even buying a condo is even better than renting if you're financially stable to do it. I know, you know, saying buy is easy. Anybody can buy. But there's steps to to buy that home. You know, you have to have this, this and this, you know. So a lot of people say, oh, well, we have cash. Cash is not the issue. You can have cash and still have bad credit and then you can't buy. So we encountered that myself, me and my husband. We had money for down deposit. We had we had a good amount of money to put towards the house, but you know, we had to work on our credit, we had to bill it, we had to work with the mortgage to make sure that all our T's across, all her I's are dotted and you know, 
bank statements and all that. So you want to make sure like all your bank statements are current, no negative, no un insignificant funds. Trust me, been there, done that. So most banks want two years clear, meaning no negative. And if you're thinking of buying a house, don't buy a car. Buy the house first and then get your car. Buy the house first and then get your toys, whatever way you want to say it. But um, there's many of things that you need to work on before you start that. And on your end, wouldn't you say that before buying anything big, huge, RVs, toys, t um, boats, or whatever that you, you want to buy, motorcycle, I'm sure motorcycle yeah. still affects that too. All of it. So the big thing that lenders look at is they look at your credit score, and then the next thing they're going to be looking at is called debt-to-income ratio, or DTI. They call it debt-to-income ratio. And what that is is it's the amount of debt you have compared to what you make, and they don't like to see your payment for your house plus all your debts be more than 50%. So if it's more than 50%, it's they're not going to probably give you the loan. So I always tell everybody, any big purchases or if you can pay off your car before you buy a house, it's going to make a huge difference on the amount you qualify for. So the less debt you have, the more you can qualify for a mortgage. So I always try to tell everybody, if you can pay off everything, pay off everything. If you have student loans, that's going to affect you. If you have credit cards, they go by the monthly payment. So the monthly payment on your student loans, credit cards, personal loans, car loans, all that stuff's going to affect you. Motorcycle loans, RVs, anything. So you want to have the least amount of monthly payments possible before you apply for that mortgage and the other thing like linda just said they look at your bank statements for like a with a fine tooth comb for two months prior to you applying for that mortgage so if you made any large cash deposits or if you have a bunch of cash you know hidden in your house the worst idea you can have guys because there's a fire it's gone but other reason is they look back two months so if you made a large cash deposit they're going to want to know exactly where that came from if they don't know where it came from you can't use it they exclude it so you won't even be able to use it towards your down payment so you want to have it in the bank account for about they they look back to two years but they on the money deposited they do look back like 90 days so if you're gonna do anything make sure you get that money in their bank account at least 90 days prior but they look back on your taxes for two years your w-2s for two years and they look about 30 days on pay stubs to make sure that you're current one thing because uh, linda knows about this if you're self-employed you have to have two years of tax returns filed. They will not look at it until you have two full years of tax returns filed, and they're going to average those two years. So if it went down the second year, they're going to use the lower number. If it went up, they're going to average it. So just remember, self-employed is very different, and you have to have two years of tax returns if you're self-employed. A job, they want to see two-year history of work with no large gaps. So it could be different jobs, guys. Just They want to see two-year history of working with no large gaps, meaning more than a month. So just keep those things in mind when you get out there and you're about to buy. So they want is more like consistency. Correct. Making sure, making sure you're not missing a gap or a month or so forth. Because you got to think about the bigger picture. They're giving you a loan for 30 years, right, guys? So when you're getting a 30-year loan, that's a long term. They want to look at your history and your behavior for the last two years. So if you're a person who likes to take six months off, work six months, take six months off, you know, it might have been fun for you, but at the end of the day, it's not what the bank wants to see when they're giving you a loan for 30 years because they don't want you to, you know, get your house and then quit for six months and not be able to afford that payment. Or lose your house. Or lose your house, exactly. Yeah. So you got to make sure that you can always make that payment. Obviously, things could change the day after you buy the house, but they try to do their best to make sure that they're protected if you don't pay that loan. So you just got to always look at the bigger picture. They're giving you a 30-year loan. That's a long time. So they got to do their, you know, as much due diligence as they can to make sure that you are a good buyer for that house and that you can afford that house and that you have a good history of um, paying your bills on time.
also a question about when you get your house repoed or evicted or so forth or the bank takes it back that that there also makes an effect on the, the ratio of um what do you want to say um the bank ratios like yeah. the loss of having to buy back or something is yeah. there something like that so when you have a foreclosure it stays on your record they say for seven years so when you go to buy if you ever try to buy another house after you lose a house so when you lose a house that's called a foreclosure that means the bank took the house from you took it back because you didn't pay it so at that point the bank looks back seven years if you had a foreclosure now you're high risk to that bank because there's a, there's a good chance that you're going to do it again based on history like you said they're looking back to see what your history was like and if you have a bankruptcy or a foreclosure it could affect you and i think for bankruptcy it's two to three years you have to be out of bankruptcy with no late payments and then for foreclosure it's similar you know two or three years before you can buy another house but they want to make sure that you're back on track and you're not missing bills and missing payments because if you're do a foreclosure and you do a bankruptcy and then you're late again on your new stuff it's showing that you're following that same pattern again and they're not going to want to give you a loan so mm -hmm. i always just think of the bigger picture i always try to tell yeah. everybody yeah so i know that you and anna have been flipping houses how yes. is that event how is that <laughs> experience or are you still doing it yes so we still do flip houses and we just recently started holding which means we're keeping them and renting them out too so for the flip side um it's very interesting obviously there's risk right the market could change while you're buying the house and maybe it's not worth as much when you bought it um but the biggest thing on the flips i always tell everybody i'm like you can get a flip with a loan you do need 25% of the price of the house you're, that you're buying. We have a lot of commercial banks we work with where they'll give you the loan for the rehab. So they'll give you the money to fix it up, but you just have to have 25% of the purchase price. So whatever you're buying the house for, you have to have 25% down. It's more risk because people tend to walk away from homes that they don't own before they walk away the home they live in. So they're always going to want 25% on any type of investment property. Even if it's just a multifamily, you're renting it out. They still want 25%. So that's the key number for investment properties. Um, we like it. We have a solid contractor. Yeah. Do you pay more to have a contractor? Yes, you do. But you know what? It's worth it because I don't have uncertainty when it comes to how much I'm going to be paying. If he gives me an estimate, the estimate's spot on. It doesn't change. So you got to get a solid contractor who's licensed and insured. The bank does check that. And you just need to make sure you're comfortable with them and they get the work done in the time frames you need because you want the project to obviously be done as soon as possible because you want to get it back on the market and sold so you can make that profit. Um, one big thing you have to really know is like you have to pay capital gains on any of that profit. So if you made $100,000, you do pay about $30,000 back to the government. So they take 30% on capital gains most of the times. Obviously, check with your tax advisors always. We're not tax professionals. But they take about 30% of what you make. So if you made 100 grand, you made 70. So you just don't want to go out and spend that money until you do your taxes at the end of the year because there's a good chance a lot of that money you're going to have to pay back. Uncle Sam will come for you. Yes, he will. He does. <laughs> He's like Santa Claus coming every April. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. don't so. forget about that. Mm -hmm. And then rentals, property, you know, you have to have that backbone. You have to be able to, you know, deal with the tenant. If a tenant, you might like the tenant and then they stop paying for some reason and you have to tell them to leave. And they might have kids and they might have, you know, families and it, it's hard mentally. Yeah. But it's, you got to remember that it's always a business and you never got to look at it with emotion because that's when you make mistakes. So that same thing, 25% down, you got to make sure if your mortgage payment's three grand a month, those rents are, you know, four grand or more because you want to make sure you have enough money to pay for any unexpected expenses, taxes, insurance, water bills, things like that. So you just got to make sure, you know, you buy a building that's running properly and cash flowing. Cash flowing means it's creating more money than you're paying every month. So the goal of uh, hold property is that at the end of the 30 years, you don't pay anything to, to maintain that property. Pretty much you buy it, 
you put your 25% down and then at the end of the 30 years, it gets paid off and you didn't have to put any of your cash into it anymore. It should pay for itself every month. Even if you're breaking even guys, you're actually not losing money because in 30 years you have an asset that's paid off. And now, you know, say it was a $400,000 house that was paid off all by the tenants guys. That's why, you know, renting on, on your end is not great because you're paying the landlord's mortgage every month and you never get nothing back on the renter side. But on the landlord side, it's great because you get your property paid off for you in 30 years and now, you know, you got a nice asset. When you go to sell it, you have that four or 500 or hopefully it went up in value, right? $600,000, for example. That's very true. Very true. Now, say when we had the pandemic, yeah. were you a landlord during the pandemic or no? I actually was not. I was doing flips at that time, so I was not a landlord. Um, you know, some landlords obviously faced hard times. Tenants just thought they didn't have to pay. The rent was still due. But they decided not to pay because they thought they were going to take advantage of a lot of these programs and not being able to get kicked out. But as soon as that uh, pandemic, you know, ended and well, not ended, but as soon as the rental um, evictions and rental kickouts started, I mean, people were at the court lining up to kick out these tenants. So and you just made it harder on that landlord for no reason. So if you could have paid it, you should have paid it. Right. But um, a lot of assistance, fortunately, was available for landlords and renters. CTI. So, yeah, CTI did like the RAF program, which was rental assistance program. Um, so there was a lot of money available. So it wasn't too bad. I don't I don't know anybody that actually lost a property. But, I mean, I've heard a couple of stories that people had. Tough, people didn't yeah. pay for six months mm -hmm. or a year or whatever it was. It's very tough. Yeah, it was a tough time. Tough it was just, un I think, a lot of uncertain uncertainty where people just didn't know what was going on, you know, or what yeah. was going to happen. Because of the pandemic, we never had anything. Knew. Yeah, we, we've never encountered this. This was like a news. A thing, never. Yeah. Honestly, you know, it doesn't happen that often. It happens almost every hundred years, so it's probably something we might never see again. But it, in our know, generation, unfortunately, we won't see it again. Maybe yeah. in our grandkids, maybe generation, our kids, yeah, yeah so our grandkids. But yeah. um, it's not something that we we usually tend to see. So, um, it was you know new new waters for all of us we had to learn world. how to basically live in this a new, new world, world yeah, yeah basically and to this day it still changed things yeah. every day every day cdc coming for you yeah. they're always <laughs> updating new things but um but that's excellent i mean with all this information that you provided us and myself learning from you it's great to hear from a realtor side so my next person that I will be interviewing is a mortgage guy. And I'm sure you yes. probably have somebody that you oh, can yeah. refer me to so I can interview them to open and close the whole chapter of real estate and what to buy and stuff like that. And, Correct. you know, so that without leaving you guys hanging about not knowing who like a mortgage perspective view, you know, point of view of their point of view of deep diving more on how to get pre-approved how to start you know working on your credit on on what mortgages is good to go with i'm sure there's hundreds of mortgage out there to go with but you know like the top 10 or something you know and what they require so a mortgage would know more of what they want yeah so guys before i we let you go today too i want to make sure I, we talked about this a little bit in the past and i think not enough people give this information they should you know the best i'll give you give you some do's and don'ts and then also i'm going to tell you what's the best way to find a, a good agent guys so if you go on to zillow.com there's a thing on the top i think it says agent finder you search the zip code you want to buy and it's going to show you the top 10 agents or if you have three agents in mind 
you can put in their names and it will show you their stats. So it'll show you how many homes they've sold in the last 12 months, how long they've been in the business, and it will show you their reviews. So if, if those things check out, you know, that's good. But I always tell everybody, you know, you should interview at least two to three realtors because they're not all the same. You know, some agents are set in their ways. The personalities might not be something that works with your personalities. So you just got to make sure that your agent fits with your needs. Um, if you want somebody if to work comfortable. with. you're comfortable, you yeah. got to be comfortable with your agent because believe you me, I was with him for a year and a half and on and off. Like we weren't, <laughs> we looked at a bunch of house, stopped, looked again, stopped. So it's not something that you want to just jump into because you got to find the right house. And you know, we've been to plenty of houses. Oh yeah. We all saw <laughs> plenty of houses, which is fine. And you know, I tell everybody, I'd rather show you 10 or 20 houses than have you see one and buy it and not be happy with the house. I'd rather have you not buy the first 10 houses if you're not happy with them because at the end of the day, you know, it's a referral business and we want you to be able to trust us and send your family and friends to us in the future. So if we do a bad job when we first meet with you, you're never going to want to send anybody to us and you wouldn't ha you wouldn't have had me here for this interview and you wouldn't trust us. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's all about a relationships in this business and you just want to go with somebody who's trusted. So I'll kind of lead that into your top don'ts. I think the biggest uh, mistake people make in this business, uh, well, not the people in the business, the clients that we work with make is they, you know, they have a cousin or a brother who's a realtor, but he does one or two houses or he just got his license. And, you know, it's hard because you feel bad saying no to that person because it may be a family member or a good friend of yours. But this business is very big on experience. So if you haven't sold a house or been through that process, you know, hundreds of times, you don't have the experience that you need to help your buyers make that right decision or your sellers make that right decision. So you really need to be looking at those numbers. For a single agent, they should be selling 20 plus homes a year. For a team, they should be selling at least 40 plus homes a year. So you want to make sure that you've worked with somebody who's not selling one or two homes a year. Even if they've been doing this 20 years and they've only sold one home a year, they're, they're not experienced because they don't, they don't see all the crazy things that go on in the everyday day and they're not up to date on the new market because they're not in the market enough to make a decision you know based on the market right now because the market changes almost every single day so you have to make sure you're working with an experienced realtor who's doing it full time and who does it you know who's been doing it for a long time i mean i would say you want to be working with somebody who's been doing it for a minimum of three years and sells over 20 plus homes a year so just always keep an eye out for that but the worst thing you can do honestly is go with a friend or a cousin just because they're your friend or your cousin and if they're not experienced it's going to be a bad situation for you and it's and you're going to make a bad financial decision decision which is the biggest one of your life because you you know felt bad for somebody and it's a 30 year lockdown yeah. so you guys you got to think about it. 30 years of you paying a mortgage in a house that you don't like because you felt bad for your cousin friend or brother or sister and you wanted to buy their house because they were helping you don't i mean feelings yes but this is a 30-year contract that you invested into that you're paying for. They're not paying for it. You are. Correct. So, so yeah, don't feel bad and buy a house with them because <laughs> it may kick you in the butt in the end. Yeah. Um, other big don't that we see, I and mean, we talked, we brushed on it a little bit earlier in the conversation is there's so much bad information out there because a lot of people, you know, my neighbor sold his house last week and my cousin and my brother if they're not in this industry, you should not be taking any advice from them. Because if you sold a house in Lowell today and a house in Chelmsford, it's two different markets. And if you don't know where this person's house was, you don't know what, what the house looked like, if it was amazing, if it was a, you know, a knockdown, you don't know anything. So if their house sold for you know 50000 over asking price or 100000 it could have been you know a mansion. You, I mean, you just don't know what you're dealing with and you can't compare different markets. to. So you need to make sure that you know whoever you get your information from, just make sure they're in you know, a realtor or a lender 
somebody in financial services, something like that. But don't don't get advice from people that aren't in the industry because it's going to really might guide you down the wrong road here. You can't compare apples to oranges. So yeah. you can't compare <laughs> it's be apples to apples. <laughs> yep. You can't compare Belvedere versus the low yeah. highlands. Yes. Totally so, different areas. But they're still in Lowell. Yep. And even See? as a prime example, if you're from Lowell, I mean, if you go on Andover Street, Upper Andover Street's beautiful. And then you come to Lower Andover Street and it's like, you know, it's a bad area. So it's just those two, it's the same street, but it's two different neighborhoods. So you really have to know, you know, where you're working, you know, work with somebody who's local, who understands the area pretty well. You know, we all grew up in Lowell, so we know this area very well. Very so, well. <laughs> so I can tell you almost every street. Yeah. So, you know, that's the good thing about working with somebody who's local and knows the areas. And they're mm-hmm. not going to kind of guide you in that wrong direction. Yeah. Um, but it... go ahead, Linda. No, I was think... just okay. going to say you're also licensed in New Hampshire, too. Yes. So. so we do a lot in like southern New Hampshire market, Nashua, Hudson, Pelham, Salem. So all that area we cover, Derry, Londonderry, we cover, do a lot, Lowell, Drake, and Chumpsford, Tingsboro. Um, we go all the way out to, we actually know the Lemonster, Fitchburg market, Athol. We, so we go pretty far out because that's where we, you know, recommend our buyers to go. They can't afford over here if they're willing to drive. Those markets in, we call it uh, North Central Mass, really, like Worcester, Lemonster, it's a lot cheaper out there to buy a house. So, you know, if you're willing to drive a little bit, if you can work remotely, that might still work for you guys. Yeah. It's not for everybody, mm-hmm. but it might work for you. Yeah, the closer you live to Boston, of course, the market's going to be higher. The further you live away, you know, the market's a little bit lesser and maybe that's in your budget. That's where you want to stay within. But you got to find a happy medium to where you want to live because, you know, you're going to be living there, not us. Correct. Yeah. And then the the other big thing, we'll go over some to do's, right? Because we did the the don'ts already here. So let's go over the do's. Mm -hmm. So the big thing is, I mean, like we talked about earlier, you want to have that 5% saved. You really want to make sure you have the lowest amount of debt possible. And you want to make sure your credit score is over that 660. The higher, the better. But there's a lot of zero down programs. If you have credit scores that are really good, like 690 plus, you may be able to do zero down. If you buy in Massachusetts, um, if you buy in a rural area anywhere, Mass, New Hampshire, if it's considered rural by USDA, which is the government pro- loan program, you can do zero down again. So depending on where you want to live, there is some zero down programs over there, but they're, they don't take on as much risk, meaning they want higher credit scores because they want less risk. So just remember, you know, credit score is huge. The amount of money you make is going to increase the amount of loan you can get. So I always tell people the only way to increase the amount of, um, there's only a few ways to increase the loan you get. It's have more money to put down, make more money every year, or, you know, or like you said, put down that 20% to avoid the PMI because that will increase the amount of loan you can get. So or just win the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we can try it, right? Yeah. yeah, I know. But yeah, so you you always want to make sure you're making that right decision. But try to get that credit score as good as you can. If you need help on credit advice, reach out to us. We can kind of guide you down the direction and maybe get your score back up for, you know, as quick as possible. If you need to reestablish, we can send you to the right places. We we know so many people in the financial industry and the you know contractors, everything you could need, bankers. So always reach out to us first because we're a good resource for you because we can guide you in the right direction. I just had somebody call me a couple hours ago that he had bad credit. He paid it all off and now he needs to reestablish. So I connected him with a banker at CLM5 and he's going to go there today or tomorrow and open up a secured credit card to reestablish his credit now. So I'm a pretty good resource, guys. If you need questions with any type of financial advice, whether it's getting a home equity, refinancing, I can guide you guys in the right direction on that too. And that's no charge, guys. And... Is it better to buy just yourself or is it good to have like a cosign and stuff? Yeah, so that's a big 
uh, misconception a lot of people have is so co-signers is not always a good thing. It depends who it is. So I always tell everybody if that person that's signing with you has a mortgage, it might actually not even help you because they have to be able to pay your mortgage plus their mortgage and all their debts. So if your dad's like, I'll sign for you. Yeah, it's nice because his credit's good. But at the same time, if his debt's high, once he takes on your mortgage and his own mortgage, it might not actually help you. I mean, if he's making two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year, it might not matter. But if he's only making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars and he has two mortgages, it's not going to help you. So a lot of people have a misconception about what a co-signer is. If you're doing it like a co-signer where you and your spouse are buying it together, you and your partner are buying it together, then it'll be fine as long as they don't have another mortgage. So it is good to add a second person who doesn't have a mortgage. But if they have a mortgage, it's not always beneficial for you. So there's a lot of different scenarios that you yes. can go into, um, into purchasing a home. Um, what's the, what's the most asked question that you get? I think, you know, most people, a lot of people ask, how do I buy a home? You know, it, it, it's a multi-step process, but I always tell them that they should sit down with us first and mm -hmm. then we'll go over the whole process with them. Mm -hmm. We do free Zoom consultations where we'll literally meet with you on Zoom 30 minutes, get you set up with all those steps, kind of tell you what you need to expect. But I think the biggest thing is you, well, we have to get you connected with, you talk to your realtor, get three recommended lenders and talk to all three of them and see which one has the best options for you. And then you start that pre-approval process. And once you have that letter, then we can get out there and start searching. Awesome. Awesome. And with that being said, like I said, um, um, you can connect to him. I'm going to let him list all the way you can connect with him and reach him so that it's easier and I won't mess up saying whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So the biggest, the best way to get to all of our social media is connect with teamcareer.com. So that's connect with teamcareer.com and career is C-O-R-R-E-I-A. And our direct Instagram is team underscore career underscore real underscore estate. And Facebook is team career real estate. Emails team career real estate at gmail.com. And my best, my cell phone number, if you want to reach me directly, is 978-866-7368. And that's the best way to get a hold of us. Just ask for Kevin, and we'll, I'll reach out to you as soon as I'm available. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I thank you for taking the time to come out and, um, you know, do this interview on this little mini podcast that we have that is building a little by little, but we'll make it there. But I, I appreciate you um, taking the time out of your busy schedule because it you. is... Um, thursday and it is cambodian new year this oh, weekend congrats. so yes um but i do uh appreciate you taking your time to come by and um, do the interview with us well, with with you. me oh no thank you for having me and i appreciate it and we love to give back so anytime guys thank All you right. so much he'll be back yes i will <laughs> <laughs> we'll interview him again um later down the line maybe in the fall so right now is spring so we can touch back base on in the fall maybe just to see where um where the market is and if we get any emails on you know questions on um what you want to ask so our email here is craycrayasian at hotmail.com, all spelled all one word, craycray, which is C-R-A-Y, C-R-A-Y, Asian, A-S-I-A-N, at hotmail.com. All right, well, guys, you have a wonderful weekend, and um, be safe, and um, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.